I might sit a little bit. We stood up all day yesterday, so at City Fest, my legs are kind of sore. And we learned under the dispensation of grace, in case you did not know that. So there is no law that says I can't have a stool if I need to sit down for just a minute. Do you know what you have? That's the question today we want to consider. Do you know what you have in relationship with the Lord? It's a pretty serious subject. Um, Last August, my youngest son departed our home. And... um, As he's been gone to school, um, one of the things that keeps coming up in my mind is that I really had it good with my boys and my wife. I didn't realize what I had until he was gone. You know, you look forward to your kids leaving in one sense, right? You can't wait till they graduate and then... They leave and they're gone and it's called that empty nest. And listen, it's wonderful. I love that it's just myself and Teresa. We date every day, right? There's nobody in the house to bother us. It's just myself and Teresa and it's wonderful. But One of the things you consider as your children leave is what you had. And so as I begin to think in terms of our life in Christ, have you thought about what you have in Christ? We sang wonderful songs. All those songs fit so well with what we want to discuss this morning. Do you know what you have? And I want to say this as a conclusion. If we recognize what we have in Christ, individually, then no one will ever have to ask you to serve. You'll do it. No one will ever have to ask you to witness. You'll do it. It'll just be a natural outflow of this wonderful salvation that you have. Now the question becomes in a room this size is do you have Jesus Christ. Is He your Savior? Do you know that without a shadow of a doubt today? That you belong to Jesus Christ. You see, as Peter is writing to these believers, and I want you to take your Bibles, go to Second Peter chapter 1. You should have a handout in your bulletin there for you to follow along. But as Peter is addressing his audience... Verse 1 is just this unbelievable unfolding of what these recipients of this letter had. And Peter, in his introduction, which many pass over, if you read any commentaries, it's like they go to verse 3 and just skip the first two verses. What are you doing? It's a gold mine. And as Peter addresses these recipients, he reminds them of what they have. And so, 
It'll be a good reminder to us that are in Christ what we have. Man, it's really something awesome. Have you ever written out your testimony? Have you ever taken that time to write out all that Jesus Christ has done for you in salvation? Years ago, we took the youth to um, Chicago and we did um, inner city missions and, and one of the assignments I gave the kids was to write out their testimony. When was the last time, right, that, that you've considered that whole thing where you wrote out, man, this is such a great salvation. There's nothing else like it. In fact, Peter in his address to the recipients, look at the way he phrases it. Verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. That's what my translation reads. In the original language, it says, like precious faith. That's the idea. Peter is writing to those who have a like precious faith. Have you ever considered the fact that that the faith that you have is a precious faith? Um, Stephen Cole says, says this, precious faith means something valuable. It means indeed something that is beyond price. Beyond computation. There is nothing like it. I don't put a price on my sons. They're not for sale. There's no price, right? When you think about a child that's born, the value attached to that child for those parents. Isn't it special? You remember when your child was born and you looked at that child and you're like, man, that's a precious gift, is it not? Now, some of them aren't that beautiful. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but some of them aren't that beautiful. And I've probably told all of you that your kids are beautiful right when I've held them. Listen, some of them are like, wow, you need a little work already. <laughs> but what's it like to those parents? Precious. It's the most beautiful gift. But guys, even more precious than that gift of a child is the gift of salvation. Next week we'll dedicate children to the Lord. Listen to me. As great as the gift of a child is, next week we'll pray that those children come to know the greatest gift of all. Another theologian says... Peter tells us that it is a precious faith for it deals with precious things, with precious promises, with precious blood, with a precious redemption, with all the preciousness of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The Lord is precious. And what we have is precious. Saving faith is precious. And he writes to those who have received a faith, a like precious faith, he says, of the same kind as ours. There's three things I want to point out to you in the text that is valuable to you 
to take from today. First of all, faith is a gift from God. It's a gift. Notice he says, to those who have received a faith. That word received is really important in the original language. It's really important that you understand this word. It means that it has been allotted to that person. It speaks of what comes to someone apart from his or her her own efforts. Faith is a gift from God. For by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. And that, not of yourselves. Salvation is not of ourselves. Faith is not of ourselves. It's all supplied, as one theologian wrote it, it is all supplied by the grace of God. That word received is critical. It speaks of what comes to someone apart from his or her own efforts. One theologian wrote this, faith is not due to human effort. (laughs) It's not human effort. Faith is not due to human effort. It's not due to intelligence or merit, but due to what? God's sovereign grace. Faith is a gift. From God. And you know what, guys? It's an undeserved gift. We've done nothing to earn it. He didn't look and say, oh, that's pretty. No. No one earned it. Faith is a gift. Philippians, I want to just read this to you. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but over in Philippians, in the first chapter, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for to you, and he's writing to the Philippian believers, chapter 1, verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, so it's been granted, it's been given to them not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. (laughs) You got to read the last part of that verse too, that's kind of rough. It's been granted not only to believe, but to suffer. There, that's a component that people really don't want to talk about as it relates to salvation, it, that, do they? It's been granted not only that I have faith in Christ, but, but that I suffer. That's a component that's part of the Christian life. So faith is not due to human effort intelligence or merit but due to God's sovereign grace scripture is clear about that in Ephesians chapter 2 8 and 9 it's clear in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 also notice that Peter points out not only is faith something that's a gift from God but he says there is only one faith notice the verse to those who have received a faith singular there's only one faith He says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Some translations have equal. Some translations have like faith. The question, the interpretive question there in that verse is, who is he referring to as ours? He's talking about the same as the Jews. Is he talking about the same as the apostles? Well, either fit. It's the same faith. It's not a different faith. There's not a different gospel, right, than the one that we have given to us in the Word of God. Paul writes a pretty scathing warning in Galatians 1. Do you remember that? 
He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you for a what? Another faith? There's only one. Peter himself said in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's one way. I received an article this last week, an article, I emailed this last week, and there's an article in here that I wanted to, part of an article I wanted to share with you. This is about a mainline denomination. I'm not going to say which one, I don't think that's important, but there are a lot of churches out there um, that are associated with this denomination. And this person wrote an article about what they're dealing with in this mainline denomination. And it has nothing to do with homosexuality or abortion. Although those are issues, right? They're issues to discuss. This is even, in a sense, deeper than that. The author wrote, I remain convinced that the real issue at stake in this denomination as with, and this person put this, as with most mainline denominations today. <laughs> That's quite a statement. So not just the denomination that, the, that they're writing about, but a lot of denominations. I agree with this person. I remain convinced that the real issue at stake in this denomination as with most, most, it just floored me. I had to read this article three or four times. As with most mainline denominations today, is what we do with the lordship of Jesus Christ and the authority of the Bible. It's like, wow. Really? I thought they were just talking about homosexuality and abortion these days. It's deeper than that. Listen to this, what this author wrote. What has energetically driven most of, the, most of those who are in this denomination... Um, what is generally driven, excuse me, I read that wrong. What is energetically driven this denomination apart or torn it apart for decades is an inability to unite around John chapter 14, verse 6. I mean, you're sitting there going, really? You know what John chapter 14, verse 6 says, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And that's what they're arguing about. That's what the split is over in a mainline denomination. This person goes on to write, Many who serve as pastors in this denomination consider Jesus as a way, but not the way. You see, we have a problem in our church culture today, unbeknownst to us or not. This is the truth. And really, we can say the truth is at stake. So that these young people, they need to be discipled in the truth. They go on to write, this is neither suspicion, suspicion excuse me, nor recent trend pluralism has been seeping into this denomination 
since the early 20th century and is ultimately responsible for all the talk about tolerance and unity. But the one issue really is around Jesus Christ. What do you do with Jesus Christ? Is he really the only way? What say you? He's the only way. You know, and I don't even like that word tolerance. Because tolerance means I have to accept what they believe or what they say. We know I can be respectful without, right, saying, well, okay, I can embrace that. Well, no. I don't embrace any other doctrine as it relates to salvation other than Jesus Christ is the only way. That's it. And it fired me up. My blood pressure goes up when I start. And I didn't take my medicine this morning. My blood pressure goes up. You guys might be in trouble. But there's only one faith. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. And listen, guys, you know what's so sad is people are convinced, and this is what people are convinced of in some mainline denominations. In order to keep them coming back and sitting in the seats every week, I better say something that they, that's nice and fluffy so that, so, that, so that they're not mad at the speaker and they're comfortable. That's an atrocity. Because listen to me, the most important thing that we can tell people, guys, is the truth. All right? You're not doing them any favors. I love people. No one can ever accuse me. I love people. But I love people so much, I want them to know the truth. So I remember when I first got saved, I ran down the street. Greg Davi didn't know the Lord. I want him to know the Lord. We consider it a precious face. That, that's what we do. We stand on the fact that there is but one faith. And then thirdly, in the text, he points out that faith has an object. <laughs> that's really kind of important. Faith's object is who? Who is faith's object in the text? Jesus Christ. Notice he says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, it's an equal faith, it's not a different faith. Faith of the apostles is not different from our faith. The faith of the Jews is not different than our faith. He says... To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm reading different books. I'm taking some classes and I'm reading some different books. And one of the books I'm having to read is on Christology. And then I'm reading another book on pneumatology. And man, when you're stuck in all those ologies, it's a lot of fun. And one of the things I've been reading in terms of Christology and pneumatology is about this, this, it's just reinforcing this one faith and that faith has an object and that object is Christ. And one author wrote this, if one is resting on their own righteousness, they're in trouble. 
How many people out there that you know are resting on their own righteousness? How many people have given, given you the answer, I'll deal with the man upstairs when I get upstairs? And you're sitting there going, man, that's just that. How? And, and don't you know, right? You can't change their mind. But what can we do, guys? We can't change their mind, but we can give them the truth. You say, really, how bad is it? How bad is our righteousness? I'm glad you asked. Go to Romans chapter 3. I got a little bit of time. Romans chapter 3. I know what you're thinking. You say, that you got a second page of notes. But it's not going to take us that long. If you want to read a tremendous letter on the doctrine of salvation, plant yourself in Romans. And Paul writes this about man. Verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. This is a big one here. There is none who seeks for God. None. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is not one, there is none, excuse me, who does good. But oh man, don't they fly it in our faces. Right? Look at what I've done. Look how much money I've given. Look at this and look at that. And my friends, listen to me. Filthy rags. That's what it is. According to the Lord. There is none who does good. There is not even one, not even one. (laughs) Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace have they not known There is no fear of God before their eyes, and we are witnessing that every day we come into contact with people who are unbelievers. That's it. If you're resting on your own righteousness, you're in trouble. It's not your righteousness that matters. It's the righteousness of who? It's Christ. It's the righteousness of Christ. And there are three observations about this that we want to talk about, about Jesus Christ that Paul points out just in this little verse, man. Start digging around. There's a lot of good stuff. First of all, saving faith is is obtained by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I like this picture. I saw a guy talk about one time the righteousness of Christ and, and what that does, right, when we trust Christ. He said, the righteousness of Christ covers us. Isn't that a nice picture? The righteousness of Christ covers us. It's like a blanket when we cover ourselves with a blanket, right? We cover ourselves up when we're cold. But we cover up. The picture is of the righteousness of Christ, right? Covering Thad Blunt. So that when God sees Thad Blunt, he sees who? The righteousness of his son. 
Not man, the righteousness of his son. Paul devotes an entire letter to this issue and the results of being right with God. Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. Aren't you glad that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you are declared right before God? That's an awesome thing, but... None of you are doing. You're just declared right. You were wrong, you're right. And the right, listen, is all because of the righteousness of Christ. I like what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, the message is that there is only one way whereby man can be right or righteous in the sight of God And that is by the righteousness that is given, that is given, that's a key phrase, that is given to us in Christ. It's the righteousness of Christ that satisfies the Father. So in relationship to salvation... We're thankful for the righteousness of Christ. But isn't it interesting? There's two other points that, that Peter makes here. I, want, that was one I thought were interesting. And, and the, the first one is that Peter um, was careful to assert the deity of Jesus Christ. Notice the way it reads. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the what? Righteousness of our what? What does it say? By the righteousness of our God. And Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the Greek, the way it reads is, it's referring to Jesus Christ being God. It's the best way to explain it. And I love the the pronoun there. Notice what he says, by the righteousness of what? He doesn't say mine or yours. What does he say? Our. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, one of the main arguments of people today in our culture as it relates to Jesus Christ is his deity. At some point in time, you're going to run across that. Where somebody says, well, Jesus Christ, he, he was a man that lived on earth, but he's not God. But that's not what Scripture teaches. John chapter 1, 1, 18, 20, 28, Romans 9, 5, assert the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. Titus 2, 13 does the same thing. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So he asserts the deity of Christ, and then thirdly, Peter is careful to refer to him as Savior. Right? Look, look at that. Our great God and Savior. By the way, the, the root of that word goes back to the Old Testament. Right? We don't come to the New Testament, and then all of a sudden, here it is, Jesus Christ is Savior... But we read about God being Savior back in the Old Testament. Do we not? It's all through the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 106 in verse uh, 21 talks about um, God as Savior. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 3 says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
I mean, how many examples do we have of the Savior leading Israel out of trouble in the Old Testament? Example after example after example after example. So it has its roots in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ indeed is Savior. It's interesting, I put a special note there for you in your notes. Peter uses Savior to describe Jesus Christ five times in this one letter in three chapters. So when someone says, who is Jesus Christ to you? He's your what? He's your Savior. Right? He's your Savior. I trust you can say that. He's your Savior. Five times he asserts that Jesus Christ alone is Savior. There's, Erwin Lutzer has, uh, this is a great quote. He says, don't ever think there are many ways to God. Jesus is the one qualified mediator the one qualified sacrifice, and the only qualified Savior. That's good, isn't it? The one qualified mediator between God and man is who? Jesus Christ. The one qualified sacrifice, the only sacrifice that atoned, right, that satisfactorily atoned for sin was the blood of Christ. And the only qualified Savior Guys, do you know what you have? <laughs> I mean, do you know, right? You're like, yeah, I'm born again, I'm saved. But do you know what you have? Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer writes, there are 33 things that happen at salvation to a believer. 33 things. Listen to this in closing this morning. Listen to this. The believer's, he's titled it the believer's status at salvation. So when you're saved, this is what happens. Number one, the believer is in the eternal plan of God. Wow, that's pretty significant when you think about it. Not just now, but for eternity. At salvation, we're redeemed. We're purchased from the slave market of sin. At salvation, we've been reconciled. We've brought, been brought into perfect peace. At salvation, we're related to God through propitiation. God is satisfied that the sin problem has been resolved. At salvation, forgiven all trespasses. Think about that, guys. Man, we talk about forgiveness in our homes and with our kids and with our spouses. Man, isn't it nice to know? Because sometimes it's hard to get forgiveness. But my friends, listen to me, at salvation, you're forgiven completely. Isn't that nice to know? At salvation, sin capacity, co- we were co-crucified with Christ. At salvation, we were free from the law. We're called children of God. We're adopted as sons. <laughs> we're acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're justified We're made high. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Our salvation is built on Jesus Christ. At salvation, we're a gift from God, God the Father, 
to Christ. The Father has given each believer to the Son. We're a gift to the Father from the Son. We've been circumcised in Christ. We're partakers of a holy and royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We're heavenly citizens. We're of the family and household of God. We're in the fellowship of the saints. We are a heavenly association. Our citizenship is not here, right? It's it's in heaven. We have access to God. We're within the care of God. We're His inheritance. (laughs) We're light in the world. We're vitally united to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're blessed with the earnest or first fruits of the Spirit. This one's crazy. Glorified. He writes this about glorified. What God has determined, though it yet be future, is properly looked upon as sufficiently certain to be considered a present achievement. In other words, we have been glorified and we will be glorified. (laughs) I can't even fathom that. He says we're complete in Him and we possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's 33. 33 at the moment of salvation. Do you know what you have? Are you certain that you have Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And just in a simple introduction, as Peter is writing to those who have received a like precious faith, there's a gold mine of truth. The group of people he had written before, chapter 3, verse 1, tells us that. And when you think about it, the way he describes himself and those people, wow. He says, I'm a slave. And then he says about them, to those who have received a like precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was writing to those who knew you, Lord. I want to thank you for reminding me of what I have. Lord, I wasn't seeking you. I wasn't walking down a road looking for you. But Lord, you sought me and you bought me. I am yours. I'm one of your children. And Lord, as hard as it is to fathom, the Bible tells us in 1 John that when we see you, we will be as you are. (laughs) We don't deserve any of this. Lord, what we deserve is your wrath. And yet on the cross, Lord, you took that for us. You bore 
the wrath of your father. And it was satisfaction for sin. And as the writer of Hebrews says, once for all. And yet, Lord, we know there are many in our world that are counting on their own righteousness. They're counting on their own works. They hope to stand before you one day and say, I did this and I did that and I wasn't as bad as this guy and I wasn't as bad as this girl. Lord, help us to know without a doubt before we walk out of these doors today that we belong to you. I pray that your spirit would work in the hearts of men and women and children today. And we know, as your word says, the Father draws, the Spirit convicts. And I pray that if we are in Christ today, that we will take this treasure chest that we've been given and that we'll go out and we'll tell the multitudes about who you are and what you've done for us and what you've given to us. Lord, help us to never question all of the blessings that have been given to us in Jesus Christ. Help us to be thankful people. Because, Lord, I'm convinced that if we recognize what we have, then not only will we build on what we have, but we'll want to give it out. We'll want to tell others. Because as we sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving me sight. And it's in your wonderful name I pray. Amen.